0: audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9:45 or 11:30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org.
1: Hey Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, so glad that you uh, decided to make West Pines part of your Christmas, and we just hope that your family has a wonderful celebration over the next couple days. Um, we're going to jump into uh, just one verse this evening that we're going to look at. I'd like to share some things with you, but before we do that, if you would join me in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, in the midst of such a, our, our busy lives, but even more so such a busy season, we thank you for just a quiet moment on Christmas Eve to just stop and reflect. To reflect on the significance of a baby being born in a manger. And to stop and even more so reflect on how that's gonna that, how, how that plays out in our lives. And so, Lord, we just ask that tonight. We believe, God, that you're here with us. We believe that you're at work here with us. And so you know all of our stories. You know what we've been sorting through this year. You know what our hopes are as we're facing a new year. You know what the uncertainties are, the crisis in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would speak into that story for each one of us tonight. That you'd help us to see how that baby in a manger affects that. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's it's in his name we pray, amen. You know, every holiday around the calendar year, every holiday kind of has an emotion that's associated with it. So think for a second as you kind of move through the calendar, think about Valentine's Day. You've got Valentine's Day and you think about romance. Or if you move through the summer, then you've got the 4th of July and you think about being patriotic and you think about pride for your country. Then you get around to Halloween and you think about maybe being scared. Halloween's kind of spooky. And then there's Thanksgiving, which is a time to be eating a whole lot. Exactly. And uh, Thanksgiving has got an emotion associated with it. And also, but think about Christmas for a second. Christmas is, it's kind of hard to pin down what is the one particular emotion associated with Christmas. I mean, we sing different songs, like, for example, we sing joy to the world, we say it's the happiest season of all. There's a song that it says, peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's You've got joy and happiness and peace. But if you think about Christmas, it's really, it's kind of hard to distill it down to one particular word, one particular concept, because it seems like Christmas is communicating more than that, more than just it's festive, it's a happy time of... Christmas parties and family getting together, it's more than just giving gifts. It's trying to communicate something more than that. Christmas seems like it's this time in the year where the bad things get made right. It's almost like at Christmas time there's supposed to be this redemption. And I think you could say at Christmas time, if you had to boil it down to one word, maybe the best word to describe Christmas is hope. I want you to think about that video that you just saw just a moment ago. It had four Christmas stories in it, four classic Christmas movies. The first one that it showed was a scene from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. That's just such a great movie. Anyone seen that movie before, It's a Wonderful Life? It's the story of George Bailey, and he gets visited by a little old man who's allegedly an angel named Clarence. And if you know the movie, that that man, Clarence, that angel appeared at just the right moment because George Bailey was at this crisis moment in his life. And they kind of give you his whole life story. They kind of tell you all about his life and how he had all these different hopes and dreams along the way and how so often he had, along the way, given up these hopes and dreams for For a person, he was being selfless, out of love for someone. He had set his own goals and and life dreams aside. And it just got to this point where he just didn't even know who he was. He was filled with doubt. He was doubting God. He was doubting himself. He was doubting his purpose. He was doubting what he was supposed to be doing with his life. And he's at this moment on this bridge when this uh, Clarence appears. And Clarence enters into his life and he gives him this moment where he can a glimpse of what the world would be like without George Bailey. You remember the movie? And he goes around and he sees all of the people that he loves the most, all this little world around him, all the people he cares the most about, and how much his life had impacted them. And at the end of the movie, you see him reunited with his family, and you see him full of faith again. It had given Christmas had brought him hope that year. It brought him something to believe in. Well, of course, then there's the classic, a Charlie Brown Christmas. That is a classic movie. And, and you can just see in the picture there, that in the middle is the icon of a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And maybe even this year you were on a Christmas tree lot and you're picking out a Christmas tree and you saw a real life version of a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And you saw it's over there. It's missing some of its branches. Half its needles have already fallen off. Nobody wants that little tree. But in this movie, Charlie Brown, he's looking for the meaning of Christmas and he goes to find a tree and this is the tree that he picks out and he brings it back and he shows it to his friends and they all laugh at the tree, but it, but you see what they do. End up They take all these ornaments and they dress it up and it looks like this beautiful tree and they sing around this tree. It's just kind of this little redemptive moment for this little broken tree. And it's like the metaphor in this movie for what the Christmas season is all about, what Charlie Brown's trying to figure out. It's this little broken tree that gets made whole. It's this redemptive moment in this movie. And then there's the classic. I mean, not a Christmas season goes by that we don't watch this movie in our house. It's Home Alone. (laughs) Classic movie, and of course you know the plot of the robbers trying to get in his house, but there's this subplot of Kevin McAllister with Old Man Marley. And it's a subplot that runs through Home Alone. And you remember, you're first introduced to old man Marley. He's salting the sidewalks. And Kevin McAllister, he's looking out the window with his cousin. And Kevin's older brother, Buzz, tells him the story of the South Bend Shovel Slayer tells him all the horrible things that he did and how he hides the bodies in his bucket of sand and all these crazy things. And Kevin runs to the movie. He's scared of old man Marley the whole time. And then he ends up in this church and they're sitting there and he gets into this conversation with old man Marley and eight-year-old Kevin and he finds out that this is just a lonely old man. and He's watching his granddaughter because he doesn't get to see his granddaughter anymore because he's estranged from his family. His son won't even talk to him. And Kevin says, he says, well, look, it's Christmas time. You never know what's going to happen at Christmas. Maybe you should call him. Just see what happens. And at the end of the movie, you see Kevin, he's peering out the window. And this is just like a few minutes before Buzz finds out what Kevin had done to his room. He's looking out the window and he sees this old man Marley. He's hugging and holding his granddaughter. And he sees him welcoming his son and his family into his home. So there's something that that movie's communicating about Christmas. It's saying Christmas is, there's a redemption to Christmas for this lonely person. It brings hope. There's the bad things are being made right. There's this redemption that that these stories are communicating about Christmas. And then there's this last movie that you saw depicted a few moments ago. It's the the 1964 claymation classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is this funny, awkward little movie, if you've ever seen it, and the story is, of course, Rudolph is born and he's got, this, he's got this shiny nose that glows. And in Christmastown, everyone's making fun of them. I mean, I, I think they need to have like a bullying awareness emphasis week or something in Christmas Town because they are all making fun of poor Rudolph. And he decides he just can't, doesn't belong there. He's a misfit and he leaves with this misfit little elf named Hermie who doesn't want to paint toys. He wants to be a dentist. And they end off on this adventure and they, go, they find Yukon, Cornelius, and they end up on this island of misfit toys and, and they say, oh, well, here's with all the misfit toys, maybe we as misfits, we belong here. And there's this line where they say, no, this is just for toys. And then one of them says, so we don't even belong with the misfits. And so Rudolph decides, he, just, he doesn't even stay with his friends, he goes off and he's wandering around and he's just, he doesn't know where he belongs, he's lost. He's going from place to place to place, and of course you know the end of the story. He ends up back in Christmastown, and that one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa asks him to lead the sleigh, and all the misfit toys, they find their home. Even the abominable snowman has a, has a job in Christmastown. He puts the star at the top of the tree, and this movie is communicating something. It's communicating redemption. The bad things get made right. It's for those who are lost, like Rudolph. It's communicating hope. See, Christmas, It's just there's something about it that's just more than just happiness or, or just joy. It's more than just peace. It's communicating our need for hope. And I want you to think about that concept of hope. It's one of the most powerful, powerful forces that you can find in humanity. I mean, think of the phrases we use about hope. We say, man, they just need a glimmer of hope. I mean, just it, hope is so powerful. If you just have a little drop of it, it's enough to get you through. I mean, if you just have a whisper of it, if, you have, if there's just a crack and there's a little bit of hope, if you just have a tiny little particle of hope, just a glimmer of hope, it can get you through. That's how powerful hope is. But What kind of hope does Christmas promise? Is it a glimmer of hope? Well, as the song says, no, it's a thrill of hope. It's a knock-you-down, change-your-life amount of hope. I want to just read one verse tonight that talks about this little baby that was in a manger. It talks about who this was, who Jesus was. And it's found in the book of Hebrews. It's chapter 1, verse 3. It's going to be up here on the screens. I'd just like to read it to you. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It's got this beautiful language to describe who Jesus is. It says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You've got these really big, glorious phrases to describe Jesus. And let's, it's actually describing something very simple. It describes Jesus with these big phrases, like he's the radiance of the glory of God, or he's the exact imprint of God's nature. Here's what it's saying it's something really powerful. It's saying, this little baby, Jesus, that we're celebrating at Christmas time, that that we're celebrating his birth. This was not just a holy man that came to earth that we celebrate at this time of year. It's not just a, a rabbi. It's he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. It's saying he's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's the radiance of His glory. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. It's saying Jesus was God in the flesh. It was creator God entering into his creation as one of his creation in a way that our brains can't comprehend. It is He was fully God and fully man. Like, imagine this. This is God looking at the universe of his creation, And he sees, in his whole universe, he sees hundreds of billions of galaxies, and he's this one little galaxy, in in the midst of that one little galaxy, there's a hundred billion stars, and of this one star, there's these little planets that orbit one of those stars, and on one of those planets, there's these tiny little creatures that crawl around on that planet called humans. And God decided he was going to become a human. He's going to enter into his universe, into that one galaxy, into that one solar system in that galaxy, onto one planet. He was going to become one human. He was going to be fully God and fully man. Now, why in the world would God do that? Why would he enter into his creation like that? Well, this verse tells us with this one phrase. He came to make purification for sin. He came to enter into creation with one mission. He came to die on a cross to wash away our sins. You see, Christmas, the real story of Christmas is about a redemption. It's about our redemption. It's about bad things being made right. And that's what we needed. You say, well, what do you mean sin? What what are you talking about? You see, God is a holy, perfect God. But yet, and even though we're one of his creations and he deserves our worship and our obedience, we do things that are unholy, all of us. We have things like greed and lust and pride and envy and jealousy. We have these things in our lives. And a holy God should push us far away from him, but he loves us so much that he came to die for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future, to wash it away so we can be reconciled to him and have a relationship with our creator. In fact, this was so important that all throughout history, God was preparing for us to know this idea. In fact, in uh, in the nation, Israel, his people, he had a symbol for all the world and all history to look and understand what this was. See, he would have them take these sacrifices, these animals like lambs, sacrificial lambs, and they would take them to the temple and they would offer them up as a sacrifice for their sins so that the animal would die so that they didn't have to. It was all pointing to this one moment when God would come into his creation as a man and he would die so that we don't have to. And you say, wait a minute, okay, you're talking a lot about Jesus' death. I mean, I thought this was Christmas. I thought we're supposed to talk about his birth. Well, what's so interesting about his birth is even at his birth, it's pointing to his death. I want you to think about that nativity scene. Every nativity scene you've seen, whether it's on the front lawn or it's a decoration or a Christmas card, I want you to think: you got the stable there, you've got Mary and Joseph, and you've got Jesus in the manger. And I want you to think about it: you've got some people, some people who are visiting the manger. You almost always have little shepherds and sheep, right? You have shepherds and sheep coming to the to the stable there. Well, you remember the story that these shepherds were watching over their flocks by night. And these angels appear in the sky and they say, today was born to you the Messiah and he's Christ the Lord, he is in Bethlehem. And they say, and this is how you know, when you go find this baby, here's how you know you found the right baby. And they describe it like this, you'll found him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And that's actually a powerful symbol. Now when I think of um, swaddling, I think about our kids, uh, Rebecca and I, I think about our kids when they were first born and they, they were delivered to us and the nurses, they would just take this blanket and they'd swaddle our little baby just so nice and tight. And since you asked, I brought a picture for you. Um, there's our, our daughter, now our oldest, that's uh, Scarlett when she was first born in the hospital room and, and they wrapped her up like a little baby burrito with this blanket And I remember she would just sleep like that and and then she'd wake up and she'd kind of wiggle around inside of her swaddle. And I could never quite do it like the nurses could do it. They could just do it so nice and tight and snug. And so when I think of swaddling, I think of taking a blanket and wrapping it around a baby. But actually, in ancient times, they would swaddle differently. They wouldn't take one blanket. They would take strips of cloth and they would wrap it around the baby tightly. So it would be with, with these strips of cloth. And so actually, I have a, a, a painting. It's hundreds of years old, but it depicts what that would look like. Check this out. That's Mary and baby Jesus. And I want you to look at Jesus for a second. Because I don't know about you, but that, he looks kind of like a mummy to me. He's wrapped in these, in these strips of cloth, and he looks a little bit like a mummy. And what's interesting is in that time period, the way they wrapped their babies was not unlike the way they wrapped their dead. They looked like little mummies. So, really, what this angel is saying to these shepherds, you're going to go look for a baby. He's going to be swaddled like a little mummy, kind of, which would not have been all that uncommon. But there's another sign. He says, and he'll be lying in a manger. Now, maybe like you, when I think of manger, I think of that, like a wooden box, like this little A-frame, and then there's this little box, it's like in a V-shape, and it's got the hay coming out, and I picture a little baby Jesus inside. But actually, an ancient manger, they would actually carve those out of stone typically limestone, sometimes carve them out of the side of a cave. And so here's actually a picture. Archaeologists found this ancient manger um, in that, from that area. That's what an ancient manger would look like. So I want you to picture in that manger, that stone box, a little what looks like a mummified baby. And you kind of have an interesting picture there. I mean, it almost looks like a sarcophagus. It almost looks like a baby in what looks like something you'd find King Tut in. There's this incredible picture. They're saying, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. In other words, you will find a baby uniquely. It looks like it's being prepared for death. But there's something else interesting about that. whole symbol. You ever wonder why it's shepherds that are the first ones to go visit baby Jesus? I mean, it's not a group of carpenters or jewelers or something. It's shepherds. And historians believe Bethlehem, which is situated right by Jerusalem, but historians believe that those fields that they would be watching those sheep were very likely the fields that would have the temple's sheep that were being, being watched over because those were the exact sheep that would be used for the sacrifice, the sacrifices in the temple. And so the exact shepherds that give their lives to watching over the sacrificial lambs are the ones to find this little baby, looked looking like it was prepared for death, and they're looking over the sacrificial lamb. That will be the sacrifice for all of humanity. See, the whole point of Jesus was not just that he was a good teacher, a prophet, It's not just a good rabbi. He came, it was God in the flesh. He came to die to wash our sins away. Now, why is that such a big deal? It's because, think about this, the most important relationship that you could possibly have, the most intimate relationship you could possibly have, is with your creator. He's not just some distant deity. He's the one that designed you, invented you, He wired you together. He wired your personality the way it is. He knows your DNA. He knows every moment of your life, every thought that's gone through your head. He knows every word that you've ever spoken, every experience that you've ever had. He knows you more intimately than any person ever possibly could. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you so much that he wanted to redeem you. He wanted to make the bad things right. He wanted to wash all your sins away so you could spend eternity with him in heaven so that he can walk with you through this life. See, Christmas is about a redemption. It's about being reunited with your creator, the relationship that you were made for. Christmas is about hope, and not just a glimmer of hope, it's about a thrill of hope. This evening, you might be here and saying, you know what, I I need some hope. Because if I'm honest, I feel like one of those characters you described. I actually feel like uh, George Bailey tonight say, I feel like I'm filled with doubt. I don't know, I'm doubting myself. I'm doubting the people around me. I'm doubting God. I'm doubting what my purpose is in life. I am on the brink. I'm having that George Bailey moment where I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how to make it through this. I am filled with doubt. But Jesus tonight is saying to you that he came at Christmas to bring hope to the doubting. He wants to give you something to believe in. Someone you can fix your eyes on and follow after him, knowing that he will guide you. You might be saying, actually, well, I'm, I'm the Charlie Brown tree. I feel broken and rejected. And if you knew the broken, broken pieces in my life, if you knew the things that I've done or the things that have done, been done to me or the mess that I'm in, I mean, you'd probably reject me. I, I, I feel like off to the side that nobody wants. I feel like there's all these brokenness in my life. But Jesus tonight is saying, I came to this earth to bring hope to the broken. He wants to take those broken pieces and put them back together. Maybe you're saying, look, I'm the old man Marley. I feel like I'm lonely. You may be surrounded by people. You might be off this evening to a Christmas Eve party with family and friends, but you may say, in the midst of all of the festivities, I am just so alone. I'm alone in my suffering. I'm alone in the season of life. I'm alone wondering who values me. But Jesus says, I, I've, I'm here to bring hope to the lonely. He's saying, I, I am here so that you know I will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe tonight you're saying, I'm, I'm the misfit toy. I feel like Rudolph. I feel lost and wandering. I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to one thing to the next. I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. But Jesus is saying, I'm calling you home tonight. Saying, I am bringing hope to the lost. See, maybe this evening, maybe this evening is the night that you draw a line in the sand. It could be the greatest Christmas of your life where you get reconnected with the most significant relationship you could ever have, reconnected with your creator. And you see what great lengths he did to redeem you and to give you hope. He entered into his creation and died on a cross to wash all your sins away so you can have a relationship with him for eternity. We've looked at four sweet fictional Christmas stories. But I would like for you to see one Christmas story that's a true story story of redemption. I want you to see Josh's story. Check this out.
0: At times in Iraq, there would be you know, situations we'd be in where you shoulda got something, something happened to you. And a specific time that I remember was um, we got ambushed one night on the way to a raid. So there was probably about seven to eight vehicles on the way to raid, high speed, going as fast as we can. And the lead truck gets hit by an IED. So it comes over the radio, IED, IED, IED. So we all, we we call herringbone, we all go left and right. At that point, we go right, an IED blew behind my truck. So I kind of turned a little bit, and then at that moment in time, an IED blew in front of my truck. So we looked at each other, and everybody kind of just, you know, shook it off, and we got out and started shooting. We'll come to find out later that not one single piece of shrapnel had touched my truck at all. And that was one of the scenarios that was like, hmm, why did two IEDs blow, and nothing touched my truck whatsoever? Cheryl had a, a friend that she'd been that used to live in Texas, and had moved to Florida. So she'd been friends with her for quite some time, and um, they called her up and they were like, "Hey, why don't you guys come see us in Florida?" So, okay, well, it's, you know, it's vacation time. We've never been to Florida, so let's go. You know, and we drove down here. And we came, started, you know, we visited, we did the beach thing, and then they were like, "Well, let's go to church on Sunday." Okay, well, we're here visiting them. Let's just, you know, be nice and do what they want. Like so. <laughs> We went, and uh, we show up here, and it's a warehouse, and I'm kind of um, West Pines. This is not a church that I'm used to seeing. You know, this is a warehouse. So we come in, and um, during the sermon, I don't really remember a whole lot about it because I was was too focused on what was going on inside of me. Um, I felt a tugging and a pulling and uh, um, something inside me that I could not control. I was used to being able to shut down emotions and just deal with whatever the problem was but I couldn't seem to shut this emotion down. I kept tearing up and not knowing why, hoping nobody was seeing me, and you know, and then after the sermon ended, you know, I kind of just swallowed it down a little bit, and then afterwards we left, and put it in the back of my mind and didn't really think about it again until we made that other journey back to Florida in December. So we got invited, friends, to come to the Christmas service. Then uh, again, we walked in, and I had that overwhelming emotion of, something tugging and pulling at me. It's something inside me that I couldn't explain nor figure out. I mean, I guess you'd say control. So then um, I, we came in and, you know, we went to the sermon and uh, Pastor Roby had the altar call and the emotion inside, I, I figured the only real option to figure out what this was, was to ask Jesus to be in my heart. And when I did, it made sense what that emotion was, the overwhelming, the tears coming down my face while, you know, everybody had their um, heads bowed, you know, holding my daughter. It was something i never felt before. I mean, I've had adrenaline rushes through the roof before that lasted four hours afterwards. You know, um, this was an emotion that I wasn't used to. I guess um, he was calling me home because it was what I've been through, I guess. <laughs> Again, motion I can't control. Um, that he, per- <sighs> that I survived all that for a reason. And uh, that was to come back in, to realize that he is the way. It was my turn to accept it. And it, it can't go wrong. I don't. Um, I guess it was a weight lifted off my soul shoulders. It was definitely a, a deep breath and, a, and a, a struggling area of my life, and the fact that it was during Christmas, when most people are struggling. Um, I guess just the surrendering is not in our creed, you know, like, as a soldier, we don't surrender. Um, we don't leave anybody behind. So I think for me to let go and just give it to him was one of the hardest parts, but afterwards was the best decision ever. Um, because the, vo- the void got filled, I felt the stress and the, everything kind of left off my shoulders at that moment. and to. To feel it. Obviously I was feeling something and that was Jesus Christ. You know, putting his hand on my shoulder if you could say or saying it's okay. I'm here and I will always be here because he was. And I didn't know it. From the things that I went through overseas to coming back to the civilian world and not grasping what happened because everything's surreal at the moment over there, to realizing that he was there the whole time, but it was up to me to to say, hey You know, I believe in my Lord and Savior. And I'm ready.
1: You know, it was uh, Christmas Eve that Josh was sitting in one of these chairs and he took a bold step and it changed his life because Jesus was calling him home. And here's what I believe. I believe that there are some in here, I believe maybe you're the one that Jesus is saying, he's calling you home tonight. He's saying, take that bold step. Draw that line in the sand and say, you know what, tonight is gonna be the greatest Christmas of my life where I'm gonna be reunited, redeemed. All the bad's gonna be made right because I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus, the one who came to save me. Maybe tonight, before you leave tonight, here, right now, is the time for you to put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. I want you to never forget this evening. So I'm going to ask you to take a bold step so that it is etched in your mind that this was the night. And in just a moment, we're going to close with a song, and that first verse is for you. And what's going to happen, there's going to be a couple people waiting down front here. And when we sing that first verse, the moment we start singing, that's your moment. And if you're wanting to put your faith in Jesus, I want you just to scoot to the end of your row, come down to one of these two aisles and just come forward because we're going to pray together at the end of that first verse. I want you to take that bold step to come forward and pray because I want you to never forget this moment when he gave you a thrill of hope that will last the rest of your life. You say, man, I don't know. That's a pretty bold step. I don't know if I can walk down there by myself. And I don't know if I can do that. Well, here's what I'd say. Grab the hand of the person who brought you. They'll come down forward and support you. You say, well, I came alone. Grab the hand of a stranger next to you. They'll come down with you. You say, man, well, what are people going to think when they see me walking down those aisles? I'll tell you what's going to happen is we're going to cheer and clap for what God is doing in your heart. And here's why. Because every one of us had that moment when Jesus called us home. And we drew that line in the sand and we said I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. We had that moment and it changed our lives and we just pray that that's your moment tonight. So in just a second when we start singing make your way down here to the front and we'll pray together and you can put your faith in Jesus. Church would you stand with me? The moment we start singing that's your cue take that step. Father, we'll give you a minute. Take that step if that's you. Take that step and come forward. We want to just pray with you. We'll give you just a second. I'd like to lead you in a prayer, brother. And if there's anyone else here, maybe you're in your seat. Say, man, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Well, I just want to lead you in this simple prayer. If that's you, I just want you to repeat these words after me. Let's all bow our heads in prayer. Just pray this simple prayer. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for, for loving me that much. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to follow you the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me once and for all. And in Jesus' name.